challenging one another with is this idea that, that if I'll change my mind, if I change the way I think, God will change my heart, that God will move and work within me. And if we learn that our joy is in Christ and not in something else, we'll stop looking for it somewhere else. If we recognize, if we're able to drill down into the truth that Jesus Christ is my joy, He's my peace, that He is my ultimate end, then I will find the source that doesn't run dry. It doesn't run out because He never runs out of power. He never runs out of His might. He never runs out of those things. And one of the things Philippians has been challenging us with is this idea that we we sacrifice our joy when our ultimate end becomes self. Selfish ambition, right? Turning away from selfish ambition. Because if we turn to selfish ambition, we've turned away from Christ. Are you tracking with me? And if we do that, we're leaving that, that place, the sense of where our joy is found. If we... If we sacrifice our joy when we say we, we won't pray for one another, we don't lift one another up in prayer, when we don't pray that our love would be increased, that we would, we, we would grow in our knowledge, in all discernment, that, that God calls us to be a loving people, but He calls us to love in knowledge. He calls us to love in discernment, and that's, that's equipped in us when we pray for one another. And when we pray for one another, we're tapping into the joy that's in Christ. We can always complain about one another. I don't know if you think that works better. But in reality, that makes us more miserable, doesn't it? Have you ever complained and felt better after? It's never worked out for me, and I am a professional complainer. I promise you, I, I, every, every weekend is honeydew list time. Anybody else have those? No? I'm it. I'm going to tell my wife that she's the only one that does that. And so I'll go home and she'll have a honeydew list. And as soon as she hands it to me, it doesn't matter. It could be one thing. The complaining starts. Oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. This is, and, and I'll, I may complain all the way through the entire doing of whatever the thing is. And then I get to the end and I ask myself, why am I doing this? It just makes me grumpier. Nobody else cares. After 33 years, Kathy doesn't even hear me anymore. <laughs> Fellows, have you noticed that? At some point, yeah, she's tuned out that frequency. And it just is, blah, 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 you know. It's like the teacher on Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. That's all it is. The, the one it affects is me. It robs me of my joy. Rouse me of my joy if I'll, if I'll, or when I choose to walk in those things. We want to be uh, men and women who pray for one another, that we would walk in love. Uh, we sacrifice our joy when we w- walk in pride. That's what Philippians has been telling us. He calls us to walk humbly. He says, let this mind be in you which is in where? Christ Jesus. And he was the humble king, No. In fact, that whole section that we did last week dealing with, with what Jesus has done and how He came, all of those things, aren't they all a definition of being humble? Walking in humility? 
being obedient even to the point of death, right? This is all the idea. And we're supposed to put that on. We're supposed to have that mind in us. So I sacrifice my joy if I say, I'm not going to follow the example that Christ has given. I sacrifice my joy when Christ is not my ultimate end. Your life is full of subordinate ends. There's things we have to do, right? You have to work, take care of your family, um, be there for one another. There's a lot of things. Those are subordinate ends, right? Those are important. I'm not saying that they aren't and that they shouldn't be a part of our life. They should. But they should not be the ultimate end. The ultimate end is Jesus. The ultimate end is Christ. Is that where our focus is? Do we see Him as our ultimate? How did Paul say that? For me to live is Christ. And he said dying was gain, not because he got to see someone else he loved. Why? He said dying to, to die is, is gain because I gain Christ. I see Him face to face. I'll be with Him. He was Paul's ultimate end. These are the things that allowed Paul, as we'll see today as we look at these uh, six verses from 12 um, to 18. When we look at those six verses, we'll, we'll be able to engage the reason Paul is able to rejoice and is calling them to be rejoicing with him is because his ultimate end is Christ. So no matter what happens, I have joy in him because he is my everything. Now, <clears throat> we know that Christ is our ultimate end when we exalt Him. That's why that section we read uh, last week ends with this, I, this idea that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day every knee will bow. The point is, every unbeliever is going to bow the knee before Christ, but a believer has already done it, right? And that's how we exalt Him. That's how we lift Him up. We lift Him up when we kneel. When we drop down. We want to exalt Christ. And if we exalt Christ, then we see that in our lives He has become that ultimate end. And so, He goes on in verse 12. Here's where we pick it up today. And so we rely on Him. We bow the knee to Him and so we rely on Him. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He's calling us to rely on Him. And the first thing he starts with is this reliance on God involves obedience but it's not obedience like you're thinking of it most of the time when we think about obedience we think about the list right ten commandments do the ten commandments we think about lists of do's and don'ts but in the new testament when paul's talking about obedience that's not what he's talking about when he says obedience he's talking about submission to god meaning i bowed the knee that he's Sovereign. How did a king know that his subjects obeyed him? They bowed. They knelt. They're like, hey, you're the boss. 
It's this kind of a of an attitude he's talking about. We're going to take a look at that. Just try to, to tap down to that a little bit. But I want you to grasp it. So we're going to look at Romans real quick. Romans 1.8. I'm going to show you that he uses it. Uh, he uses the word obedience and faith synonymously. Look, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Your faith. Your faith that you are trusting in Christ, that you are walking with Him, that you are one of God's kids. Then in Romans 16, 19, he uses that same word, only he substitutes obedience. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. He uses it synonymously. What this obedience is, is not our ability to to follow a list, but rather it is our willingness to come underneath His Lordship. That He's King. That I'm submitted to Him. That's what Paul means when Paul talks about obedience. In Romans 15, 18, he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, what's he say? To obedience. What's the obedience? It's the same thing we talked about last week in Philippians chapter 2. One day, what will happen? Every knee will bow. But prior to that, every believer does what? Bows the knee to the king. Submitted to him. That's the obedience he's talking about. Are you aligning yourself with Jesus Christ? That's the obedience he's talking about. Not, have you lived a perfect life? Have you ever messed up? It's less about that and more about what side are you on? Are you willing to stand with Christ even when the other side thinks you're stupid? Even when the other side throws tomatoes at you or rotten eggs or hits you with, with, uh, what are they using now? Bike locks. Are you willing to stand for Jesus, even though they, they think how stupid and how ignorant, and the only thing we really need in society is to get rid of all you people? Who do you bow the knee to? Because Jesus said, you are either for me or... There ain't no middle. There is no neutral. In or out. Paul said, if you're in, you are obedient to the faith. You are obedient to Christ. You have bowed the knee. You obeyed the gospel. Look at Romans ten sixteen. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. What do you mean? Haven't all obeyed the gospel? Because everybody doesn't do what? Everybody doesn't bow the knee. Right? This is the idea that Paul's talking about with obedience. For, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? That's Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report that, that the Messiah will come and die for us? And make a way that we might be clothed in His righteousness and so be atoned for. So that we might stand in, in His guard. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8 it says, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel. Those are linked together. There's, I won't bore you too much with the Greek grammatical construct, but the idea is those two things are equals. Okay, So the idea joined together by the and on those who do not know God and the same thing, those who do not obey the gospel. 
Obeying the gospel means you know God. If you know God, you obey the gospel. How do I obey the gospel? I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I, I have accepted. I have received. I don't, whatever word makes you happy. I like I bow the knee and he's the king. I like that I'm submitting my life, surrendering my life, giving my life. Whatever it is, it is coming into obedience of the gospel, which is calling us to Jesus Christ for our salvation. So if we're going to rely on God, it starts with that kind of obedience. You have to bow the knee. You can't rely on God and not know Him, can you? <laughs> you can try. It would be very frustrating. We want to know Him. But not only does our reliance link into this obedience of following the gospel, but it also involves applying it. Is it being applied? Have you apprehended all that God has for you? We can intellectually acquiesce. We can say in our minds, I got it. But have you apprehended it? Have you laid hold of it? Are you applying it? How do I apply it? That's that phrase when he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. How are you going to live your salvation? That's what it is. It's not work to get your salvation. It's not what he says. He says work out. Work out. Work out your salvation. How are you going to show your salvation to the world? Salvation is something that happens inside of you. The change occurs inside of you. Jesus Christ moves inside of you. He begins to transform you from the inside out. But then Paul charges us, apprehend what Christ has done so that the outside starts to look like the inside. So that we are relying on, on God because we are applying what we know. Jesus Christ has saved me. He is working in me. He's changing me. Day by day. And I want that to be visible. I want people to know I want people to see. You know, this, this, there's a lot of ways that people go about trying to see this expressed. But basically, this is the outworking of your salvation in your day-to-day life. Relying on God means I'm, I'm, I'm expressing my salvation. It's coming out. It's not just staying in. That's one of the ways I, I know something's real, right? It starts to come out, starts to transform. We start to see what's happening on the outside. <clears throat> but it also, this reliance on God, it, it does not only involve uh, the, the idea of obedience and the idea of apprehending or applying what God's done, but it also involves an accountability. That's why he says, work out your own salvation with Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. It's not, it's not uh, shaking at the, the awesomeness of God, although there is a sense in which that is still true. But really, this is a Hebrew idiom. Fear and trembling is a Hebrew idiom for humility and submission. For humility and submission. Paul uses it a couple places. In, in 1 Corinthians 2.3, Paul says... I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Well, he wasn't afraid of them. What is he saying? 
Fear and trembling. Humility and submission. I'm in humility and submission. I'm weak. I wasn't strong. I wasn't eloquent. He, at that particular time, had been dealing with some illness. And he says, so I came to you in weakness, not in wisdom, not in strength, in humility and submission. Another way of saying that, fear and trembling. I came to you in fear and trembling. Ephesians 6, 5, he says, of bond servants, <clears throat> obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. He's not telling them to quake before their masters. What is he saying? He's saying, walk before your master in humility and submission. Humility and submission. What's our accountability? We are accountable to walk in humility. and Hasn't he told us that for the first two chapters? He said it a number of ways that we need to be humble, not full of selfish ambition, not full of our own pride, not boasting in ourselves, but recognizing that we are submitted to whom? To God. What else is he going to tell us? He's going to, he's going to say, submit to one another. Think of others before you think of yourself. These are the things that the Lord is calling us to through Paul in Philippians. You want to have joy? Take yourself off the throne. Neither you nor I are the most important thing in the universe. There's only one ultimate end. And that's Christ. Everything else is subordinate. So if he's the ultimate end, if I keep him on the throne and I recognize that whatever's going on in my day, no matter what it is, I can glorify Christ in it. I can have joy in my circumstance. I can have joy no matter what is happening in my life. It's, it is, in a lot of ways, a miracle of God. That he enables us. Even though everything else is coming down, to rejoice in Christ. You don't have to learn to rejoice in your pain. You don't have to learn to rejoice in your suffering. You need to learn in both of those things to rejoice in Christ. That He's still ultimate, no matter what. That He's still worthy, no matter what. That He's still valuable, no matter what. So I want to rely on God. I want to rely on God by being obedient to His Word, which means I'm submitted unto Him. I want to rely on God by apprehending what is true on the inside, flowing through, right? Starting to come out to the outside and acknowledge my accountability before the Lord that I'm to walk in humility and submission. I'm going to stand before God in fear and trembling. Not boasting of myself, but rather bowing of myself. But then the next thing that we want to recognize, and this to me is the, probably one of the most important things that we can recognize, and that is that our reliance on God is a reliance upon His empowerment. He gives us what we need. It's not, it's not your will. It's not your willpower that is necessary. It's rather a reliance on Him. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That word, it is God who works in you, is energon, energy. He's the one who provides the energy for what you do. Not only the energy, the strength to do it, but the desire to do it in the first place. It's He who gives you the will, and it's He who gives you the want. It's He who gives you the ability to do it and the desire to do it. 
It comes from Him. Reliance on Him. Reliance on the Lord. He is our supply. It is God that works in you. There is nothing in the Scripture that God has not called you to that He has not already given you what you need to do it. It's there. You say, I don't feel it. Then I'd say, remember when we talked about apprehending? Is what's on the inside coming out to the outside? We need to apprehend what God has provided. You say, I don't know that He has... I have apprehended anything. Then I go back to obedience. Remember? Are you relying on obedience? If you're going to rely on God, you're obedient to Him. Have you bowed the knee to Christ? Or are you Lord? Is your ideology Lord? There's a lot of things that can be Lord in our life. Yes? But the Bible says Jesus wants to be Lord, right? Jesus said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And He'll say, depart from me for what? I never knew you. I didn't know you. So the challenge is not, is, is not to erode our, <coughs> our, um, our, our comprehension or apprehension of salvation. It is to ask us the question, just like we do every time we take communion. Examine yourself. The only person who knows you bowed a knee is you. Right? We can say anything. I can proclaim Christ as Lord. I got the easy part over with, right? It's submitting. It's bowing. It's, it's surrendering my all. And here's the beauty of it. Christ is empowering us to do that. If you think, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm struggling with that idea. Then what does the Word of God tell us to do? It says, man, if you... <coughs> If your child comes to you and asks you for a piece of bread, will you give them a stone? If you ask them for a fish, will he give you a snake or a scorpion? No. If you, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, won't your Father in Heaven give you good things? Won't He give you the Holy Spirit? If you ask God, Lord, I need a heart of repentance, you don't think He'll give it to you? You ask God, Lord, I need a heart of submission unto you, you don't think He'll give it to you? He says he'll freely give. In James, he says, you have not because you. Interesting how that flows. No. Just asking. But the problem is what holds us back, what stops us, what hinders us often is our pride. Oh, well, our chest sticks out and our head gets higher and we say, I'm good. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To the humble who stand before the Lord. Well, we want to rely on God, but we also want to reflect His character. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that verse beats a snot out of me every time I read it. Literally, what he's saying in, in verse 14 is, don't be like the children of Israel. Because the same exact phrase is used to the children of Israel over and 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 over again. They were always doing what? Grumbling and complaining. Now, when we look at them, they're grumbling and, and disputing. They never wanted to follow God's plan. That's the dispute. 
It's not when we talk about uh, theology. Sometimes people say we should never argue about theology. The Bible says to contend earnestly for the faith. That means brawl. Talk about it, work it out. That kind of arguing is okay. What kind of arguing is he talking about here? The kind of arguing that says, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's what the children of Israel did, right? Hey, we're going to go here. We're going to eat this. Uh, I don't really want that. I, I want quail. I'm sick of angel food cake or whatever. I don't want any more banana bread. I just want quail. I want steak. I don't want what you've provided. I don't want what you've given. That's the arguing, the constant arguing of the children of Israel, the constant bickering of the children of Israel that caused them what? To not enter into the promised land, right? That caused them to stumble and fall and mess up. So here Paul is telling them in the same, in the, using the same phrases, do all things without this. Don't do that. Don't fall into the trap. Change your mind. Change your mind. Change that habit. The opposite of that, rather than being a grumbler or a disputer, that you be blameless and innocent. And Jesus used the same phrase, this word for innocent. He said in Matthew chapter 10, He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Only be wise as serpents and innocent as doves be in be pure be innocent say be blameless be innocent don't don't follow that thing don't let your flesh win don't let that drag you down into the same old types of behaviors but let what's on the inside come out (coughs) jesus christ wants to purge us he wants to purge me he wants to purge you he wants to accomplish his work in our life to to get rid of, to let those things go. Now, why does he bring up this idea of grumbling and disputing in Philippians? I don't want you to lose sight of context when we study this book. In, a, in Philippians chapter 4, he tells us about the problem, the, the point that he's pointing to for them, right? Because they have some grumbling and complaining going on. In, in Philippians 4, he says, Therefore, <clears throat> my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown... Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Sintachi. That worked for me. To agree in the Lord. And I've also, and I've asked you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So you have two women who are fighting that is causing uh, struggle within Philippi. And these two, it's two. How many people does it take? So there's two people, right, that are, that are grumbling and complaining probably about each other. They're both believers in Paul saying, look, you guys should learn to walk in humility, be submitted to one another, think about one another other than thinking about yourself. And he challenges the people around him, help them. Help them be able to express outwardly the character of God. And the character of God is not grumbling or disputing, but being blameless and innocent. We see that in the next part of the phrase, right? Children of God without blemish. Where? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Is that not where we are? 
I, every day, something worse comes out. Some worse thing, some worse idea, some idea that I go, where in the world did you come up with that being good idea? But they can come up with new ways to dream up horrific things. We are in a twisted, crooked generation. But we're not supposed to be twisted and crooked. We're supposed to be blameless and innocent. And how do we accomplish that blameless and innocent? How do we accomplish that? Don't grumble and complain. Don't fight against authority. Don't buck. I'm not talking about authority in the church or you have to do whatever I say. Well, that would be cool. But that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being submitted to the authority of Christ. To not buck against what God is doing. What is God working? What is God doing in your life? If you will take yourself off the throne and put God there, you'll begin to recognize a lot of things can happen in my life that will glorify God if I'm willing. If I'm willing to keep my eyes focused on Him in the midst of the storm. Right? We all know the story, right? Where Peter is in the boat and Jesus comes walking up to the boat. They've been rowing all night. They've been trusting in God, right? Because God said, go to the other side. So we're going to make it to the other side. And then the storm comes and they're, they're just rowing. And all of a sudden they look up and they see someone walking on the water. Remember the story? And they freak out like you would. They freak out first. They're like, oh, what's, what's, who is this? A ghost. It's a ghost. <clears throat> Jesus calls out to him. Says, it's not a ghost, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come. I always think, what if it wasn't? I, I don't know, my brain works that way. So the Lord says, come. Peter jumps out of the boat, walks on the water. Right? And then he started to see everything else. And what's he do? Sinks. Have you learned from that story? How many times do you think Peter looked back at that and said, Man, I'm so dumb. I could have just kept my eyes on Jesus, keep my eyes on him. I could have been trucking on the water for a long time. But are you able to allow God to be glorified even in your failure? Yeah, I'm a knucklehead. I went down under the water, but you know what? Jesus saved me. And he whispered something I've always held on to in my ear. He said, Peter, why you doubt? If I keep my eyes on Christ, I can do anything. Are you willing to allow God to be glorified in your sickness? Are you willing to let God be glorified in your suffering? Are you willing to let God be glorified in your life, in the good and the bad? Are you willing to let God be glorified in and through it all? Thanks, brother. You're all right. I wish it was a monster, but water's good. <laughs> my, wife's got me, my wife's got me on a monster diet right now. Yeah, I'm sure all you guys are happy. There's probably a lot of places. I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but that works. Sorry. Um, so we want that, right? We want to glorify God. This is the, this is the challenge to us, right? That we're not grumbling and complaining, that we're surrendering, that we're in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation, but we're willing to let God be glorified. So I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be 
angry at God or shake my fist at God about what's going on. What I want to do is glorify Him. God be glorified. How do I do that? That's simple. God be glorified. Be glorified in this. Be glorified in my flat tire. Be glorified I lost my job. Be glorified in this new job I got, Lord. Be glorified in the new house you provided. Be glor- See, we choose to leave Him on the throne. You see what I'm saying? And then He becomes preeminent. So that whether I live or die, Christ is glorified, exalted, lifted up. And this is what brings joy into our life. Into our life. And look at the last phrase, verse 15. Almost done. Last phrase, verse 15. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. How is it that we shine as lights in the world? He's quoting from Daniel. He's quoting from Daniel 12, verse 3, which says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Listen, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. How do we shine? When we exalt Christ, we reflect His glory. The word here for shine is like the shining of the moon, the reflecting of the sun's brilliance. And so we are called to shine forth. How do we shine forth? When we we lead people into righteousness, when we share the gospel, when we live out the gospel, when we show the reality of a change that's occurring on the inside being expressed in how we live. And that is a joy that can't be squashed. If we're, if we're finding our, our joy squashed and squelched and we're, we're having a difficulty walking in it in the circumstances of our life, it simply signifies that I'm not exalting Christ. I'm exalting me. And I'm upset. And I'm angry about this situation and that situation. And that robs me of my joy. But if I change my mind, God will change my heart. If I'm willing to say, I'm going to think about this differently. Instead of worrying about me, I'm going to look to exalt Christ in everything. And if I exalt Christ in everything, my joy is no longer attached to me. It's attached to Him. And now I can walk in joy. Now I can express that joy because I'm trusting in Him. Now I can reflect His character. Because that's what God's like. I want to be able to reflect who He is. I want to be able to shine as lights in a twisted and crooked generation. Holding fast to the word of life. Man, hold fast to the word of life. There's nothing better to hold on to. This is what Paul's telling the church of Philippi. Hold on, hold fast to the word of life. The, the promise of the gospel, the good news and the word of God. Hold fast to the word of God as our final arbiter in all things. We hold fast to the word of God. We hold on to it because it is the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, Paul says, that he will be proud that he did not run or labor in vain. Paul saying, man, I just want you guys to hang on to Jesus, exalt Jesus, stay focused on Him, watch out for these, this infighting, watch out for this stuff that's going on around you. Then Paul says, he, Paul, will be able to say, man, it was worth it all. Everything I suffered getting there, everything that happened in the journey, all the things that I went through, it was worth it because look at these guys, they're walking in Christ. 
He just wants to see that the things he did in his life to share the gospel encouraged others. And that encouraged Paul. Where's Paul at right now? He's in prison. He's in prison, but listen to what he says. He says, I, I want to be able to say, yes, this was worth it. Everything I went through for your my labor with you was not in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Even if God takes my life. Now we know eventually he does, right? We know eventually he is poured out as a, a drink offering. It says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, And now I am being poured out. He knows he's headed to the headsman's axe. Whatever is about to happen is about to go down. And Paul is saying, I'm being poured out. Now he's saying, hypothetically, even if that happens, even if I am poured out like a drink offering, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's not glad that he dies. He's glad because Christ is exalted. Because they are walking in the faith. Because they are standing in obedience. Because they are loving one another. Because they're praying for one another too, that their love would increase. And that they would have more knowledge and discernment. Because he can look at them and say, Man, look at what God has done in your life. I am rejoicing with you all in Christ. I'm rejoicing with you all. Likewise, he says, verse 18, You also should be glad and rejoice with me. Don't be sad for me. Rejoice with me that Christ is exalted. That He is lifted up. That He becomes the ultimate end expressed in how I live my life. And that, that brings joy. That is not only our source of joy, but our ability to express it. It's all in Him. It's all for Him. It's all about Him. And if we can drill down into that, if we can tap down into it, He's the source. He's the source of what I do. He's the source of my desire. He's the source of it all. And if He's the source of it all, then I can walk in joy Every day, no matter what. Because He is exalted. And everything I do is for Him. His praise. His glory. Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys stand with me and let's pray. <clears throat> hey, I, I remember that uh, I didn't tell you guys where my house is. So you have a hard time finding it. Which will mean I have a lot of burgers all by myself. So, I'm going to get, give you quick directions, then we'll pray. Go out the parking lot, exit on Broadway, turn left. Go to Main Street, turn right. At the stop sign at Main and Clear Lakes, or whatever that is, you're looking at my house. Gray, two-story house, kitty corner, left side. Don't get on Clear Lakes, just cross it. That's Juniper Street. Turn left in the first driveway, you're in my driveway. Park wherever you want to <clears throat> and have a burger. We'll look forward to seeing whoever, whosoever will may come. And uh, we'll enjoy our afternoon spending some time fellowshipping with you all. Uh, let's pray. 
Father God, we just thank you for the truth of your word, calling us, God, to to uh, being able to tap into a joy that Paul had. And Paul had that joy because his joy was in Christ. It was in living for Christ. It, even to the end of his life, it was in dying for him. <clears throat> it was keeping the ultimate end focused, even while having to go through the other things. Paul had to work as a tent maker. He had to, he had to uh, supply his own needs as he went about the ministry, and he uh, did those things. He still accomplished all those things with keeping his eyes on Christ. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, Paul said, but this one thing I do, Forgetting the things which lie behind, I press on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For Him, about Him, and to Him. Lord, I pray that we come to a reliance on You. I pray, Lord, that we have apprehended what You have promised in Your Word. I pray, Lord God, that we reflect your character in how we live and that we become examples of light in a dark world. That we hold fast to the word of life. We hold fast to the truth of your gospel, Lord God. And as we hold fast to that truth, that we find we're able to rejoice. Rejoice always and again I say rejoice for the joy of the Lord is my strength so God be magnified in this place as we turn our eyes and our desire toward you in Jesus name we pray amen